Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. David Jennings, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Mark. Looking forward to this episode. Oh, me too. Me too. This is actually a system. No, this the topic of systems. I'm, also, I'm so excited. My tongue's, tongue's moving faster than my brain. Uh, I love it when someone loves the systems. I, I, I feel like we're connected. I'm passionate about this and, 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 our, and our audience knows that. I've talked about systems so many times, uh, but now we have an expert here to talk about systems. And so I'm really excited about this conversation. Let me introduce you to those who may not know who you are. Uh, David is the author of Systemology, Create Time, Reduce Errors, and Scale Your Profits with Proven Business Systems. Uh, David's business experience has spanned from franchising retail clothing stores to founding one of Australia's most trusted digital agencies, Melbourne SEO Services. In 2016, he successfully systemized himself out of that business, hired a CEO, and stepped back from the daily operations. And through that process, he became a systems devotee, founding Systemology. Today, David's mission is to free all business owners worldwide from the daily operations of running their business. I know that ears are starting to perk up here, hearing this intro, people want, want this. And to achieve this, David spends most of his time today supporting his growing community of certified systemologists as they help business owners implement systemology. He also delivers workshops, keynote addresses, hosts his own popular podcast, Business Processes Simplified. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. 
Systemology is endorsed by Gino Wickman. We've talked about Gino before, author of Traction and the creator of EOS, the Entrepreneur Operating System. Michael Gerber, one of the books that I recommend constantly is the E-Myth Revisited. It's endorsed by Michael Gerber and many, many others. You know, developing a system of systemizing our business is one of the, it's one of the most requested, one of the, one of the most often requested topics we get, David, here at Entree Architect. It's, it, architects know, right, that they need systems. They're so busy, they're wearing so many hats, they know that systems are important, but they struggle to execute on how to do that, right? They know they need to do it. And it's very often uh, requested to, how do we build systems, right? That's what the, the big question. So I wanna dive into that. I'm really excited about yeah. that. Um, before we jump into the hows and whys, I'd love to know more about you and your story. How did you get here? When did you discover your passion for systems and maybe who or what inspired you early on to get started with that? Yes. Uh, it's, it's been, I suppose, almost in my blood because my dad was a systems engineer and- Oh, wow. It's, it's literally in your blood. Yeah. And uh, as I've sort of been involved in lots of businesses, I know we've kind of touched on it in that uh, bio, always wanted to be an entrepreneur involved in everything from a franchise business, importing uh, products. We had the rock and roll clothing music store. We had the digital agency and I used to uh, train people in the stock market education uh, space as well. And I found in all of those businesses, there was always this common thread of systems except when I got to the last business, which was my digital agency. And I got stuck in that business for probably about 10 years too long, where I started that business um, and it was really just, uh, I, I was quite good with marketing online and it just naturally evolved. Like it happens for a lot of business owners. And uh, I felt like that business was different where, ah, oh, I can't systemize this business because it's too creative, because Google moves so quickly and keeps changing the algorithms. How can I write a system? Because it's just going to get out of date. And even if I create systems, my team's not going to follow them anyway, because they're free spirit copywriters and designers. And <laughs> yeah, now like you're, that. now you're talking to architects right there. <laughs> there you go. And it was, um, it, it wasn't until we found out that we were pregnant that I had that wake up call when, when I heard, I, I thought, Oh, I don't want to be that dad who was always too busy. And my dad was always really, really busy. And I, that's something that I was quite consciously aware of. And I was work, working really long hours in the digital agency. I was very much the bottleneck. Everything came through me, whether it was staffing problems, client problems, whenever there was a problem, it just got escalated to Dave because Dave can solve everything. And when I found out we were pregnant, I said, well, I need to change something here. I know people have been able to build digital agencies that aren't dependent on any particular person, whether it's the business owner or anyone else. So I know it can be done. I just needed to test a lot of the assumptions that I had about systemization and, and why I thought it couldn't be done. Uh, and, and that really was what started me on this journey uh, where I, over about nine months, we stepped myself out of the day-to-day -day operations, scaled up um, a lady who was inside and she got elevated to CEO. She ran that business for a good few years, actually, as I started working on systemology, which was my side hustle for a little while there. And um, we ended up selling the digital agency when she had to move back to the US because she was based here in Australia. Um, she moved back and I thought, oh, do I really want to go back into the agency land? No, my my passion now is very much 
in the systemization space and helping business owners get off the tools and build things that really grow beyond them and, and start to remove that key person dependency. So that's what, what got me to where I am today. And, you know, the book was a big catalyst for, for the launch of systemology. When, when was it in that process of systemizing the, dig, the digital agency that you realized that this needs to be something bigger than just your business, that it has to be a book or a system or something that you, that, that you were inspired to share it with others? How did that happen? Yeah, so I went through this period as I stepped away from the digital agency where um, I already had a little kernel of an inkling that it could be done because uh, there was a, a sub brand under the digital agency, which is a video production business. It was like a sister company that we had. And, and I don't, I don't know how to operate an, a camera. I'm not a video editor, but this was still a business that I owned and that business grew and had to grow without me on the tools. And that was actually a blessing in disguise because it meant I, I didn't get sucked back into, hey, I can just do it. And we built up that business quite successfully. Um, and then I thought, oh, well, how about I take a lot of these ideas and transfer that into the digital agency? And then we skilled up Melissa and I stepped out. I took about a year off when we had our first uh, child. And I was kind of sitting back thinking, what do I want to work on? And, and I'd been in the digital agency space for so long and I just thought, oh, I'm a bit burnt out there. I just started working, doing some consulting work. I had a few people reach out, saw what I did to step out of the day-to-day -day operations and said, oh, can you, you know, show me what you did to get to that point? And I worked with a couple of clients one-on-one -on -one, and then that evolved and we ended up getting a small group and started like a, it was like a fortnightly catch up on Zoom where we'd hop together and I'd coach them through this process. And I just started hammering away at this. Well, if you're going to systemize your business, what are the first systems you need to systemize? How do you get your team involved? How do you make this easy? How do we apply 80-20? How do we modernize the e-myth and apply in all of the new technology tools and software that we now have available that weren't there when Michael started? And that's kind of that, as I started doing that process, then I started to massage my own system. And then I realized there isn't really a system to systemize business, which sounds a little bit funny because whenever I read the books like Traction, The E-Myth, Scaling Up, a lot of the classics, what they do is they build the case for systemization. Right. And I think we've all reached a point now where we agree business systems are important and, and critical and... Uh, that's when I realized, oh, there's a big hole here. And I developed this system and I said, okay, well, I ended up running a little workshop and quite a lot of the um, clients from my SEO business came to that. And that workshop was version one of the systemology book. I basically got all of my ideas, assembled them into an order, presented it. And then uh, we took the recordings from that, sent it off to a ghostwriter and he wrote version one of systemology. And it was kind of that, you know, I just recognized this is the book that I wish I would have had 10 years earlier. Yeah. And that's kind of how, how the whole idea started. Yeah. When I finished reading the E-Myth and I've read the E-Myth probably a dozen times, um, that was the question, right? I know that I need to build systems, but I don't know how. And, and uh, Michael talks about a little bit, but doesn't really get into any sort of real structure. Um, what I would love 
is for this episode to be the episode I send people to when we start yeah. talking about systems, right? It's, we talk about systems, go to episode 461, and that's the episode where you learn how to do that. So could we do that? Could we sort of walk through yeah. at a very high level? Obviously, it's an entire book, an entire system, but maybe you have seven stages in the book. Maybe we can walk through each of the seven stages, describe a little bit about what it is and why it is, and, and give a little bit of uh, structure on how step-by-step step to put together a system. Yeah, perfect. So assuming everybody listening right now has reached that conclusion where they say, I need to put systems in my business. I just don't know where to start. Oftentimes you might have a little bit of traction. You've already got some clients. You've already got product to market fit. Maybe you've got a couple of team members around you that are helping you out, but you're very much finding that you're bottleneck. That usually is the sweet spot for where this system applies. Sometimes a couple of changes need to be made. If you're smaller than that, like let's say you're smaller than a, a few team members, but if you're also larger than you know, 40 team members, it's, it's a bit different. So that's the sweet spot. And, yeah. and that's exactly, question, David, that's exactly who you're talking to. You're talking to, oh, a, there are lots of sole practitioners and there's lots of larger firm owners and, and lots of employees of architects. Um, but the heart of Entre Architect is that architect business owner that has three to 10 people in their firms. And, yeah. and a lot of them are running into this problem where they know they need systems. That's not even a question anymore. I just don't know how to do it. Yeah. So the first question when someone's in that spot that they'll ask is, where do I start? Like, what are the first 10 to 15 systems that I should create? And systemology being the system for systemizing your business, step number one, um, we call define. And that's about identifying those 10 to 15 systems that you would begin to capture first. So the way that we do it, there's an exercise called the critical client flow. And it's just about mapping the journey from grabbing someone's attention through to delivery and handover of that product. And you map that journey and that becomes a great place to start. So, I mean, you don't even need to have the book to this. You can go through this exercise right now. All you have to do is you think, who is my dream client? Who is the person that you would love to have a hundred more clients like that? Get that picture clear in your mind. And it might be a specific person and think about them. So anytime you have a question, you always come back to how does it serve them? So we opt optimize to that experience. The next part we do is we think, what is the first product or service that we would sell to that dream client? And no doubt, there's probably a range of different services and architectural firms. It's like, you know, where do you start and where do you end? Does it include the, the building and bringing in the other contractors? Or um, So I'd normally like to think about it as what is the first thing that that client might purchase? And maybe it's, you know, the first, you know, excuse my ignorance here, but like the first wireframe, or maybe it's the, the, the dream house session where you sit down and you plan out that dream client's dream house, whatever it is, think about what that first starting point is. Once that's clear, then we map the journey from, uh, and it's a, an A4 bit of paper that you should be able to do this on. And it's just a series of boxes that you populate. And there's just a couple of rules you always need to think about. One is we don't want to put too much detail into these boxes. You just put one or two words and you only capture what you're currently doing, not what you would like to be doing. And that's a real critical one. Just yeah. think about what you are already doing. And you go, 
how do I currently grab the attention of that dream client? Once they're ready to go and they stick up their hand and have an inquiry, how does that inquiry come into your business? Is it a phone, email? Is it a, you know, does someone fill out a form on your website? Whatever it is, think about what happens next. After that, what? how do you respond to those inquiries? Do you hop on the phone? Is there some sort of qualification? Do you send them an email? Just start to map this out on this A4 bit of paper. And we move down and we say, great, if someone's a good fit, like, What's the sales process look like? Do you hop on Zoom first and have a discussion? Do you meet in person? Um, again, these are just boxes on an A4 page with one or two words in it. So we keep it very simple. The next one down, if someone's ready to go, like what happens next? Do you create a proposal for them? And then do they have to sign off? And do they give you a deposit? Or do you collect money at, at the end of the project? Whatever it is. Just capture that as you move down the page. Each step is basically a new page, uh, is, a, is a, a new box. And then when they are ready to go, how do you onboard them? Like, is there a questionnaire that they fill out? Do you have another phone call? Do you need to set up a Google Drive folder where you're going to store all of your files? Do you have a project management platform that you set up? Like, what, what happens for that onboarding phase? Then we get to the delivery, which is the doing of the work. Now, this is where a lot of business owners oftentimes they all get caught up because they think of, oh, it's so complex and it's so varied and it changes for every single client. But again, just keep it very high level. You might just go, you know, delivery of whatever that product is. Later on, we can get into some details and uh, put some milestones and things like that. But for now, very high level. And then finally, what does your handover look like? How do you hand it over and uh, line someone up for either repeat business or the next stage in the project. And that that first step uh, by mapping out the critical client flow, and if you're, I don't know if you're watching the video or not, I mean, it just looks, oh, look, my lighting's not quite getting it, but it just looks something like that. If yeah, you can we don't, see we that. don't share, we don't share the video. Oh, okay. So, um, but it's, but it's, a, but it's a, it's a basically a flow chart of the system yeah. that, you, that, well, the, the process of, what we do as architects, right? Starting from exactly. the very beginning, that first contact of a client, all the way through step-by-step step at a very high level uh, through the process of all of what we do until we are finished with our services at the end of, of, of construction administration. The project is finished. We've, been, we've done the administration on that project and there's, a, there's an, uh, uh, a process of wrapping up the project. So it's the step-by-step step of, of that process. Yeah. Now, if you get that, clearly mapped out, that is a great starting point for where to systemize your business. Because if you can deliver that core product or service without any key person dependency, it means you can make the business work without the business owner. So that then becomes the goal. And it doesn't, just by doing that, it's, it pulls you away from things like, oh, should I be creating recruitment right. systems or management systems or finance systems? And it just focuses on how can the business make money without any sort of key person dependency. Yeah. So it's effectively what we've done is we've identified by this process 10 to 15 systems that are a fantastic starting point for you. Yeah. And that's step one in systemology. That's a, that's a really important step because that's usually the thing that stops us all, right? Is, is when we say, okay, we have to systemize the business. Oh, there's, we have to systemize everything. And we get overwhelmed and we don't do anything, right? Because yes. we don't have time to do anything. So we just freak out and we don't do any of it. And so by going through this process and just identifying the things that we we're doing already every day, yep. 
um, and identifying that and writing them down in a, in a process can identify 10 to 15 specific systems that we can focus on and go through the rest of the process. Yes. This will teach us how to build systems, right? And then once we yeah. know how to build the systems, then we can go back and build the other things that we might want. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's really the key. Like it's a process of 80, 20. We're just identifying the 20% of the systems that deliver the bulk of the result for the business. And we focus there. And just by doing that, it kind of makes it easier to get started. And common thing for people that to just get over in their head. And when I hear it, when I say it, it'll make perfect sense uh, for you is just because you don't systemize it doesn't mean it's going to magically stop happening in your business like certain steps and processes and team members are doing things already. So just because you might go, Oh, but we didn't systemize this thing. Like that doesn't mean it's going to stop happening. That just means in this process, we're really focusing and certain things need to be done um, to a certain standard. And we're capturing what that standard is. And that's when we move to stage number two in the process, which is a sign. So assigning is about thinking, where is the knowledge currently already as in who knows how to do each of those 10 to 15 steps because sometimes it's the business owner but sometimes another team member might know how to do that thing to a good enough standard and that's okay in fact that's preferable first just capture who currently does something to a great or acceptable standard and start there. And where we can, we take the business owner out of the equation. So Jenny might handle the incoming inquiries as they come into the business. Well, let's assign that system to Jenny and capture what she's doing. Okay. Um, you know, Joe does a great job of the sales process. Okay. Well, let's assign him to that. Okay. Um, you know, Jeff, he ends up doing the delivery. So we basically go through that process, uh, the, all of the 10 to 15 systems we identified, and then basically pair them up with a person. That's stage number two. And the whole idea here is wherever we can, we take the business owner out of the equation because the business owner oftentimes can't help themselves. They'll want to make things better than they currently are because the business owner has a picture in their head of what they imagine it could or should be. And they will try and create a system to that. But, but that gets in the way of it getting done because then the business owner is the only person who can do this. Right. And we just need to get some momentum by stripping out where we can the business owner as much as possible and identifying who, who actually has the knowledge. So that, that's that stage number two. Stage number three then is the extraction process. Now, there's a couple of key lessons here that um, will really help you with uh, getting the IP and those steps out of the heads of the knowledgeable workers. So the person that you identify in number two um, stage is what we call knowledgeable workers. They have the knowledge. Now, knowledgeable workers, like the business owners, are typically very busy because they're your best team members. Right. They know how to do stuff. And if you give them hey, your job is to capture this system. Well, I'm busy enough as it is already. I'll put it on my to-do list and I'll get to it when I have time. And they never have time. Like the business owner never has time because systems are always important, but they're never urgent. So the, the key here to make the extraction phase work is to realize it's, um, extraction is a two-person job. You have the knowledgeable worker and you have a separate person who's the documenter. And you just record the knowledgeable worker doing the thing. Don't 
go out of your way to make it any more challenging than that. Just say the next time that you answer that incoming phone call, I want you to record the next five times you answer the phone. Next time that you create a proposal for someone, just make me a video of you creating a proposal. I don't care if that video is three hours long, just get me a video of you doing it because that's version one. And that's the other thing. We want to make version one as easy as possible. A lot of times people have this picture in their head of what they think a system looks like. And, you know, they might think, oh, it's this beautifully organized bullet point. And I bet architects would be very guilty of this because, you know, (laughs) you're perfectionists. You want to have it look a certain way. It has to have a certain amount of polish. And polish will happen over time. We don't want that idea, though, getting in the way of just getting version one down because we can keep iterating. So we just record the knowledgeable worker doing their thing. And then the second person, the documenter, watches that video and then pulls out the key steps. And this might just be, you know, the, the documenter could be an administrative assistant. It could be a return to work mum or dad who you get for five or 10 hours a week. It could be someone that you offshore to the Philippines or, you know, another emerging economy. Like it's not, you don't have to be super highly skilled for that task. You just need someone to watch it and pull out those key steps. The other thing, uh, the secret for stage number three is, is to have a system for creating systems. Like what is the process that you teach your documenter? Hey, here's how you format it. Here's how it looks. Okay. Now, once you're done, you send it back to the knowledgeable worker because the knowledgeable worker will happily give you feedback. Like where most people have the challenge is working from a blank page. But if, if they've recorded a video and someone's done all the bullet points, they'll gladly give feedback. So just a few little tweaks in that third stage makes the capture of systems infinitely easier. Yeah, it's, it's, it sounds so easy <laughs> at this point, right? Well, let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. This episode is brought to you by BQE the makers of BQE Core, systems and standard operating procedures. You already know that that's how to build a profitable business and find the freedom you want. You need systems and procedures. But you struggle with choosing which systems you need most and how to implement those systems quickly so you can get back to doing what you love most. The Designing Your Business Masterclass series was created by acclaimed architect and business consultant Douglas Teeger to help fellow architects and engineers run their firms more profitably while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Douglas grew from a solo practitioner to become managing partner of his 30-plus person firm and then later sold his firm so he can do what he does today, helping architects be more successful at Tiger Consulting. On the third Wednesday of every month, Douglas dives deep into an essential topic that will strengthen the profitability of your firm and make it sustainable for growth in the years to come. Register now for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass with Douglas Teeger at bqe.com masterclass and start implementing powerful systems for the profitability you need and the freedom you want. Every live masterclass session includes AIA continuing education credit and when you visit bqe.com masterclass, you'll have access to the full library of past sessions on demand. The Designing Your Business Masterclass is free and it's brought to you by our friends at BQE, the makers of BQE Core, 
the software that makes it easy to manage your projects and people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Register now for the Designing Your Business Masterclass at bqe.com slash masterclass. That's bqe.com slash masterclass. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. There's a lot to love about being an entrepreneur architect, right? But trying to figure out our financials on our own is not one of those things. Luckily, we have FreshBooks, the all-in-one accounting solution that's built for business owners like us. FreshBooks takes all the not-so-fun parts of running a business, from building and tracking invoices, to managing online payments, to organizing expenses, and automates them with features like the digital bills and a receipt scanner, saving you up to 11 hours a week in the process. It's also super easy to get up and running, and the award-winning FreshBooks support team, they are always available to answer any questions along the way. Compare that to some of the other financial management tools out there. Try FreshBooks for free for 30 days, no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com architect to get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash architect. So what will you do with 11 more hours each week? This episode is brought to you by rcat.com. We all have that one story, that one project that had such a unique situation that it required a solution that you had rarely considered before. We share these stories in private professional circles with our friends and our colleagues but there has never been a collection of these stories of conflict and triumph all in one place until now. Detailed is a podcast series that features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who share their insights and expertise as they highlight some of the most complex, interesting, and oddball building conditions that they have ever encountered and the ingenuity it took to solve them. Join host Sharice Lakeside, a.k.a. CSI Kraken, a senior specifications writer at RDH Building Science as she uncovers lessons learned to help you navigate similar challenges that may arise in your next project. Detailed, an original podcast by ArtCat. Listen and subscribe right now at ArtCat.com slash podcast. That's ArtCat.com slash podcast. A-R-C-A-T dot com slash podcast detailed every building has a story please visit our sponsors today and thank them thank them for supporting you the entree architect community so step one define what it is step two assign who's going to do it step three extract that information in a in a simple and that's the key keep it simple uh, process of, of, of documenting what that person's doing by somebody else documenting it, which is really important because now the, the knowledge worker doesn't need to be the one who actually documents it. Somebody else documents it. You just record it and document it. And then, and then have that knowledge worker make sure that it is actually the system, right? And yes. read through that, that step-by-step process. Say, oh, no, it's not exactly that. Let's rework this. And you move this step above that step because that's really the way it, it, it's more efficient. And so, it, yes. it, and that makes it really simple. So now you have those three steps complete. What's the fourth? The fourth one is organize. And that's all about where are you going to store all of this knowledge? Because what a lot of businesses have is their systems are stored 
on a desktop on Sally's computer and someone else has some stored in a Dropbox over here and someone else has it in, you know, a Google file here. So the issue of systems being scattered everywhere is an issue. You just need to have a central location where all of that knowledge is stored. So that's part of organizing. The other part of organizing is thinking about how do you pair the knowledge, the how-to information that you captured with some form of project management platform. Do you guys talk much about like project management? Is there a common platform like a Monday or a Trello or something that you find a no, lot of architects use? There, there, that is, project management is a big piece of what we do because every project we do, we're, we're managing yeah. that process. There is no standard in architecture where lots of us use Monday, lots of us use Asana, lots of us use Monograph. There's lots of different... Uh, tools tools to manage our projects. And it doesn't really matter which tool that someone selects. Um, the key is, as long as you've got a project management platform, the point at which you assign the task, you want to also link to the how-to system that explains how it's done. So you mm. might create a template of every new project. We duplicate this template in monday.com. Uh, and in there, there's a range of subtasks. And in the description of those subtasks, it links to the system or the process on how that's done. And that linkage is really key because otherwise what ends up happening is the knowledge and when the assigning of the work is separated so much that there's no real accountability. And it's very easy for someone to go, oh, yeah, but I didn't know that that's how that thing needed to be done. Whereas if there is a system there you, and they don't do it to standard, then you can just circle back around and say, hey, next time, can you make sure you follow the system? I don't care if you got the system open or not, if you're executing it flawlessly. If you know the system and you've internalized it and you can do to the right standard, fantastic. Don't open the system. But if you don't know how to do it and we're missing steps, then you need to have the system open the next time you do that task. And it, it makes it a great way for new team members too. If they're figuring things out and learning for the first time, they're going to really appreciate it. Because oftentimes what happens is new team members come on board, they get shown how to do something and then they, you know, they feel like they're expected to know it and they don't want to ask a stupid question. So they don't ask, ask questions and then they make stupid mistakes. Whereas if, if there's a link to a training or a how-to document, then it's much easier for them to go, well, if I'm not quite sure, I can have a look at this thing, which then starts to reduce errors and, and makes things go a lot more smoothly. So that's second, uh, the fourth stage, organize, is really all about um, how do we take that knowledge and get it centrally located and then pair it together with a project management platform. Yeah. And one of the keys to successful systems is to make it easier to use the system than to not use the system. Right. And so organizing that. So when you're doing your project management, there's an easy way to click a button and you're right there. The system is there waiting for you, you know, and that system makes it easier to go through that process than without the system. And then people use it. Yeah. I have this saying where I say complexity is the enemy of systemization. And anytime that you introduce any sort of friction into the process, a, a reason why someone shouldn't do it, yeah. then they're always going to take the easy path. So you want to make it as easy as possible for someone to follow the process and find what they're looking for when they need it. And, that and the system and the process is easy to follow. Yeah. And that leads us into the next stage, right? 
Yeah. So the next stage is integrate, which is stage number five. Now, integrating is all about basically getting the team on board. And the, the biggest secret I can, actually, there's probably two secrets here that I can share that will really make this a game changer. Firstly, when you introduce it to your team, think of it in terms of what is the benefit to them. So don't position this as I'm systemizing the business so that me as the business owner can go away on a big holiday and lie on a beach and I still get loads of money put into my bank account and I do little or no work. Yeah, not much of an incentive. No, that's not (laughs) going to get anyone excited. But if you talk in terms of, um, hey, you know, when you go away on holidays and I keep on following you up to do certain tasks, even when you're on holidays, because no one else knows how to do it. Or, you know, when you come back from holidays and you've got a hundred to-do items because everything was waiting for you to come back and you spend the next three weeks catching up for the three days that you had off. Well, if we can systemize, then we can have other team members back you up. So when you go on holiday, you can go on holiday. If you or a family member get sick with COVID and you need time out, that's okay. And you can focus on what's important and what you need to And the business can keep chugging along. And when you come back, you don't miss a beat. You're straight back into it. Um, Or, you know, and everybody's different. Like that message might connect with some people. Some people you might say, do you want to move up in our organization? The way that we do that in our organization is we capture tasks that you're doing. We systemize those. And then we delegate it down to lower cost team members. And by doing that, that actually makes you more valuable to me because then yeah. you can work on higher value tasks. That's a great incentive. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's all about, you know, making everybody's job easier, giving them more opportunities and helping them to see that because you want the team to get behind this initiative. And, and part of that also, and that the other secret I wanted to share under this stage is identifying what we call a systems champion. And it, it can't be the business owner. It either needs to be, maybe an operations manager, or maybe it's um, an admin person who is naturally systems oriented and they love creating to-do lists and checklists and they love to organize. Like there are some people that are just like that. I'm not one of those, but I know they're out there. And if you identify that person and then you go, great, you're going to carry the flag. You give them you know, a copy of systemology and you say, read this book. And then I want to implement this in our business And I want you to be the champion that drives this forward, getting that systems champion. And they can oftentimes, sometimes they're the documenter, but sometimes it's a separate person. It's someone who is able to connect across the different departments. Um, It's someone who is curious and someone who can um, really lead the team to actually make this happen and not abandon it. Because it's really easy to start the process and you do one or two systems and then you go, oh, why hasn't my business changed overnight? Because it, it takes time. Building a systemized business, like it has a compound effect. Every new system you install saves you a little bit of time. And that little bit of time compounds because now you can work on other higher quality things. So you need the commitment and to stick to this for it to work. Building a systemized business does not happen by accident. It's a decision that you need to make. So this integrate stage is about getting the team on board, finding the key players who are really going to drive this forward. All right. So just to remind everybody, stages one, uh, define, two is assign, 
three is extract, four is organize, number five is integrate. We have two more. What's the what's the next one? So the next stage, it's stage number six. Um, and it feels like stage number six, you might hear the pitter-patter in the background. I'm not sure. It's just started raining over here. So this is the perfect time to uh, talk about stage number six. So stage number six is all about scaling your business. And stage six is we start to identify what are the other systems outside of the critical client flow that we identified in stage number one that are required to scale your business. So it's a process of going through each of the different departments in your business, sales, marketing, HR, finance, operations. And we basically apply the 80-20 to each department. And we go, if there are only five systems in the HR department that did the bulk of the work of HR, what would those five systems be? Well, maybe it's recruitment, maybe it's onboarding staff, maybe it's performance reviews, maybe it's whatever it is, you identify those systems. And effectively what you're trying to do across the entire business is say, if I was going to build a business, what are the minimum viable set of systems required to run this business? And you identify those and that becomes part of the next phase. So, you know, The first phase was all about identifying those 10 to 15 systems to deliver the core product or service. Well, now we're sort of starting to think of the business more as a whole and a bigger organism here, a bigger machine. And how do we identify the key systems there? So that's really what scale is about. And then it is, it's systematically having your systems champion work through the process. Like literally we plug it into a spreadsheet. We identify what these are. And then the systems champion just chugs away. Who knows how to already do this to a good standard? Great. I'm going to meet with them and we're going to record them doing the task. And then we're going to send it off to the documenter. And then we're going to make sure that this is all organized in a central location. And then I'm going to make sure that there's a link in the task in Asana for Monday for that task. And it links to the how-to document. Once you start to get there, you really start to get some traction in the business. This, this process that you're talking us through here, David, is so important because so many architects uh, have found themselves at the end of their careers with a business that has no value, right? That, they, that they, they work their entire lives and they just do what they do. And at the end of their careers, they close the door, pull down the shingle and walk away. And they have nothing. They have nothing to, to transition to, to their staff. They have nothing to, to give to their families. Um, and this is how you add value, right? This is how you add value to your architecture firm is to build these systems that can run without the, the, the principle. You're a hundred percent right. When it comes to what is value and thinking in terms of someone purchasing your business, let's say you've decided to retire and either it's the staff are going to take over or you're going to sell it off. And you, you know, I mean, that's one of the most important pieces of this whole equation when building a business is the sale that is actually where the business owner crystallizes the biggest payday that they will have is on exit if they do this correctly and the potential acquirer the person who wants to buy your architectural business is going to the biggest risk for them is if i buy your business and you walk out the door 
will the business continue to run? Is it going to just fall over? Is half of the IP going to walk out the door and clients, we don't know how to get them. We don't know how to service them. That's their risk. And if they see that as a high risk, then I'm going to pay you very little for your business. You know, maybe you've got a little bit of brand value. Maybe you've got a good website. Okay. I'll give you, you know, one tenth of the business's real value. But if you can de-risk it for me, if you can make it so that, hey, this business has been running without key person dependency and we've got all the systems organized and I've got an operations person who oversees the projects and I've got the different team members. And if someone needs leave, we can plug someone else in. Now you've got something of value. Now I'm going to pay you some money for that business. And that's, yeah, a real important piece. Sometimes I don't mention it early on because sometimes people don't even think about selling their business. Like for my digital agency, when I systemized it um, with Melissa at the helm, uh, it got to a point where I thought I'm never going to sell this business because every quarter I would get a profit distribution as right. the owner. I would yeah. meet with Melissa usually about you know once a month where we would sit down, we'd look at the numbers and we'd do high level strategic stuff. And then she would run the day to day. And that went that way for a good three years where she just did it virtually hands-off. I took a year off to have our first child. I'd started working on systemology and it wasn't until she she had a family emergency, had to fly back to the States. And when she got back, she dropped the bombshell. She said, I'm going to have to move back to the States. Yeah, And I wasn't expecting that. And that for me was, okay, like, do I want to go back into the business? No. Okay. Well, I can sell it and someone will actually want to buy it because right. I've built something of value. And that's the key. You're, you're creating an option for yourself. If I didn't systemize that business and Melissa left, what is the value of that business? Half of the value just walked out the door. Then she, like, she was the business at that point in time. I, it would have been a fire sale. I would have yeah, got nothing right, for it. Right. Rather, um, rather than an opportunity, which is what you had, you would have a crisis. Exactly. And, and I wasn't even planning for it. So it's, even if you're not thinking about selling your business, creating systems is the best form of business insurance you can have because you don't know when something's going to go wrong yeah. and systems reduce errors, systems reduce that waste. They help you scale profit and they build something that someone actually sees as valuable. Yeah. We have, so, we have one more stage left. Yes. What's, what's our final stage here? So the final stage is the optimized stage. Now, this sounds a little counterintuitive for a lot of business owners, and I deliberately put it at the end, uh, because if we go back to the start, I think one of the key lessons that I mentioned in stage number one is capture what you're currently doing, not what you would like to be doing, because that becomes your baseline. It's infinitely easier to optimize and improve when you have a clearly identified baseline, like, you know, well, this is how we do things. And then if things are broken and errors are popping up and you're having troubles, it becomes much easier to go to work on the system if you know what the system is. So optimize this last stage has a lot to do with, well, let's install a dashboard. Let's get some basic metrics that we monitor and let's listen to the system. Um, or, or, you know, if we think of your business as a system, let's listen to your business and when issues and recurring issues pop up, and I know you um, talk a lot about um, Gino's work and traction. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Gino as well. Um, kind of feel like a lot of the work that he did really, he, he 
took what I felt was in scaling up and turned it into a system that you could follow. Um, And uh, he has this thing where he talks about the issues list. And really all I see an issues list as um, here are problems that are popping up in the business. And every time those issues pop up, you just think about how do I solve this at the system level? So I remember in our digital agency, we had this issue with late payers. There are a handful of clients that we'd constantly be chasing up to try and get them to pay. And our process was we'd invoice them up front and then we'd give them 30 days. First, you know, this issue popped up and we said, okay, well, what can we do? The first thing we did, we used um, MYOB and we turned on some rules to make sure that automatic reminders were getting sent out. And we thought, great, we've solved that problem. A month rolls around, talk to accounts that made zero difference like that didn't solve any problem okay so it popped up on the issues list again and we said okay well how else can we solve this and we thought well how about what would happen if we started asking the clients to pay up front and then we wouldn't actually do any work unless they've paid and then we would stop and where we could we would take credit card details and have it as auto billing Yeah, that sounds quite good. Changed it at the system level. Great. This is how we do things here. And then that ended up solving the problem. And for the handful of clients that kicked up a fuss and said, but we've always done invoices, then we would say, great, we'll keep invoicing you. Um, But uh, all new clients, they would come on board and um, they would get the new standard, but the old clients, um, you know, if they're paying on time, we didn't really matter. So that whole idea of creating a dashboard listening to what's going on in your business, listening for issues, and then trying to solve those issues at the system level as they pop up um, is kind of like that next stage. And it starts off first, it's whack-a-mole. And there's tons of issues that pop up. Over time, the issues start to decrease. And then over time, the quality of the in- uh, problem starts to increase. As in you, you, you start working on things that are more important issues as opposed to... Um, oh, do we send out that late reminder to that person and that client didn't end up paying? Like certain little things can just be solved. You know, a business owner adds the most value when they're solving high quality problems that only they have the best insight on because they understand the machine as a whole. And that's a big part of this optimized stage is, is how do we create a framework so the business owner stops solving the same problem over and over and over and over again. Let's get them to solve it once and then move on to the next problem. Yeah. What I what I love about Optimize is that it it gives us permission in the other six stages to just get it done. Right? Just get it done. Don't worry about perfection. Don't let it it's not supposed to be pretty. It's not supposed to be perfect. It's just documenting it. Get it done and then you have an entire stage here when it's all done and and you're and you're scaled and you're integrated and you've figured it all out it's organized and you've extracted that and you've assigned it and you've defined it now you can optimize right you can go back and clean it up and you can finish it and polish it and 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 when those issues come up fix those issues and make that part of the system and then it also allows you to go to those other systems those other potential systems right that right, those those ten or fifteen that we've defined. Now we've gone through this process. We've fixed. We've built systems for those ten or fifteen. Now we can go and start expanding our systems to those other more important, or not more important, those other uh, non-critical systems that we still want systemized, but aren't part of that critical workflow. Yeah, 
almost want to set some uh, some homework for the listeners where um, go hire the movie The Founder. It's um, got uh, the story of the McDonald's brothers yeah. and Ray Kroc, uh, and it talks about how McDonald's got started. And a lot of people, when they think about a systemized business and what a system looks like, they default to McDonald's and they think about these, you know, beautiful binders with bullet points explained down to minute detail so that a 15 year old kid off the street can learn how to come in and flip hamburgers at the, you know, by the end of the month and once they've finished their training and people think that's what a systemized business is. But when you watch the founder, you realize what you're thinking about there is the output after 60 years of doing this version one of the system was them walking out onto a basketball court getting some chalk and scratching out what the store would look like. And they say, oh, yes, let's put the fryers here. Let's put the drink machine here. Let's put the the counter over here. Oh, no, no, let's move that. That's not going to go well there. And that is version one of a system. And even McDonald's, the most systemized and organized business, didn't start off with what it looks like today. You have to start scrappy. You have to think 80-20. You have to think minimum viable product. Just capture what you're currently doing and doing the baseline, and that will be a game changer. And it starts this process of building a systems culture in your business, which is ultimately what McDonald's has done so well is build a systems culture. Right. Once you you design and build one system that works and you see how well that works, you want to build more. Right now, once you know the system, once you know these seven stages and you've been through them, you know they work. You want to you want to do more, and you want to do more, and you want to do more, and then ultimately your business is systemized. Yes, and this is just a a process. You just got to get it going, and I, I think that's probably the biggest thing I wanted to do for today's podcast is have someone who might have tried systems in the past and it didn't yeah. quite work, or they might have reached the conclusion and thought, "Oh, systems won't work in my business because we're too creative," or "I'm not a systems person," or "My team won't follow systems," and I want to go there's a good chance many of these are false assumptions and I would love for you to retest them and think about giving this another go because you might not see yourself as a systems person, but that doesn't mean you can't own a systems driven business. And it's actually very natural and normal for the business owner not to be a systems person because usually they're the creative visual big picture thinker. And their brain oftentimes doesn't connect with systems. And that's like me. I don't like documenting systems and processes. I'm not a systems and processes guy, but I fell in love with what systems and processes can give you. And then it's about assembling the team around you to to complement where you might be weak around this idea of systems because systems are the building blocks of business. And there is no way that you can scale a business and grow it beyond you and have it profitable and saleable without systems. So you've got to figure this thing out. If there was one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow, what would that be? Uh, Without being too biased, I'd say go get a copy of Systemology over at uh, Amazon. No, but seriously, I, I think the best thing that you can do is just start that process. You don't even need the book. That first step I was saying of identify 10 to 15 systems and just focus on there and create really average crappy version one of those systems because version one average is better than 
not right. documented or not captured at all. And, and yeah. at least you've started the process. Yeah, 100%. This has been such a great episode. This is going to be the episode that I hoped it would be um, that, that I can point people to when they're talking about systems. How do you do this? This is how you do this. It's a step-by-step process, seven stages. Keep it you know, rough and dirty. Go through, get it done, then go back and optimize. Uh, David, I appreciate you for coming by and, and, and sharing this knowledge with us. Uh, his name is David Jennings. The book is Systemology. The website, systemology.com. You can buy the book there. You can learn about systemology. There's all kinds of resources there. Go there, systemology.com. The link will be on the show notes. The podcast is called Business Processes Simplified. We'll have a link to that as well at the show notes. David, thank you for writing this book. I think this is an important book. So many books talk about the importance of businesses, uh, business systems and case studies of business systems, but there are not a lot of books out there that actually step-by-step step teach us how to do it. And so I appreciate you for, for taking the time and writing this book and, and now basically dedicating your life to it. I appreciate that. And I, and I really appreciate you coming by and sharing your knowledge here today at Entree Architect Podcast. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me, Mark. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, go write a review. I would love to know what you think of this podcast and it helps other architects find us. So go do five-star rating if you like it, share, write a review, I'd love it, and share a link to this episode with a friend because that's how we've grown. That's how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands of architects throughout the world just like you. Thank you to our sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks and BQE for their support of this episode. I ask you to support them because they support us. And if they're supporting us, they're supporting you. So go support them. Got it? Go support our sponsors. Links to our sponsors. So you can click on those links and go right to them. Links to our sponsors and all the resources we shared today are available at the show notes for this episode at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. All the shows are there. entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows. I think there are 11 of them there now. Go there, gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And I hope you're going to join us in Austin, November 1st through November 3rd, 2022. Those are the dates for the Entree Architect Community Annual Meeting, our first ever live and in-person conference for you, the small firm architect community. Visit entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting right now to learn more. That's entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting, and I will see you in Austin in November. Don't miss this. This is going to be great. entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting. It's a conference for you, small firm architects. Thank you for listening today to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. 
where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris. Owners of Level Studio Architecture are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then you know in your head you've rooted like oh i'm connected to these people like long term the process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges demanding meticulous planning flawless execution and unyielding resilience i kind of hate the term because it's so overly used but i think everybody knows imposter syndrome and i think it's it's so real to this day i i, I don't know if it's with everybody but with me i'm always questioning like us? Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.